OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund Ask an Angel. I'm your host, Jeffrey Poppin. And today, let's welcome our investor, Olga. How are you today, Olga? Hey, hi. I'm good. Awesome. <laughs> Always spectacular. Always spectacular. Uh, I like that. That's the best way to be. Well, welcome to our show today. We're super excited to talk because you and I have been chatting for feels like years, probably been close to two years, and uh, very excited to kind of dive into what you're doing because it's very exciting. And I believe the rest of the world wants to learn what you're doing, how you're doing it, and why this is relevant to any investing world because it so is today. Uh, so why don't we start off by having you give us a little bit of a background. You can go all the way back to, you know, a little bit about your university days in Moscow to the startup, to the uh, the build up, all the great things that you've done. And uh, we'll turn it over to you and, and also throw in one thing about you that nobody would know. <laughs> a lot. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, yes, always a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, nearly two years. Yeah, you're right. Uh, bits of uh, my background, probably quickly. Um, I was uh, uh, in mathematics and macroeconomics, went to become a trader on financial markets when I was 22, simultaneously finishing the university, uh, and relocated to another country, meet uh, my second degree. Uh, risk taker is always a risk taker, I guess. Uh, I was working on public markets in the United States, a bit in Europe, a bit in the UK, and a bit in uh, Asia. Several years um, working uh, and writing my paper on chaos theory in portfolio construction in public markets. Uh, and at a certain point, I got struck uh, by the realization that what I felt is going to be uh, like my whole life purpose apparently became just maybe 1% of my talents. And uh, I was quite surprised, quite taken aback, didn't know what I was supposed to do next. That I was uh, uh, I was in multi-asset portfolio allocation already, knees deep in hedge funds, in public markets, partially in private markets, doing a lot of research along with uh, asset management itself. And uh, I was... <laughs> I guess I was a bit lost. Like, what is it I'm supposed to do next? And uh, uh, since I was like super, super small child, like three years old or something, my parents devoted a lot, a lot of time for uh, expanding my talents and interests. I've always been incredibly curious person, always like launching myself into multiple disciplines. And it dawned on me that I was and always been obsessed about early stage talents, uh, about ideas, how ideas are working in any field. Uh, while I was a trader, I was working with younger traders, with researchers, with students, with children all the time. Like a lot of my friends would come over and say, hey, could you chat with my uh, seven-year-old? They are obsessed about archaeology. Could you like, talk to them what they can do at this uh, stage in school? And uh, I left finance. Uh, I was working on different projects, probably was about 40 different projects within a year. 
uh, just to figure out what is it that I want to do next as a long-term commitment. Uh, and I started working with musicians, stand-up comedians, popular scientists, entrepreneurs at the same time, which uh, landed me in a very interesting cross-discipline, cross-cultural field so of exploring how early stage ideas work in different applications. Like what does it mean for musicians to come together and write an album? What does it mean for a couple of scientists to come together and do fundamental research? What does it mean for early stage founders to come together and build a software app? Uh, and uh, uh, I've uh, opened my first business back then. We were organizing conferences and concerts and exhibitions. I was also doing a lot of research, such as mergers and acquisitions research or uh, education foresights uh, in the United States and Europe. Uh, it, it was several very turbulent and very insightful years. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Eventually, I ended up working with entrepreneurs around the world uh, in Europe and in Russia and CIS in the United States, in UK, in Asia, uh, across probably 20 different industries, starting off obviously with fintech, where is my background, or with edtech, which I spent 15 years in already, or robotics by some happenstance, where I started off organizing a first robotics conference in Russia back 10 years ago or something. Uh, and uh, uh, this uh, last decade, I spent working as a uh, fractionalized executive, executive on demand, advisor, operator, founder, co-founder for multiple startups in extremely early stage. And always was uh, my biggest interest, but mostly the complete obsession about investing in talents. And uh, uh, when COVID started, I sat down and was like, Okay, I've been thinking about investing in talents at scale for a very, very long time. I've been working with talents across the whole world in very different geographies and cultures and setups and macro for a very long time. I think it's like as good time as any to start building the funds to actually go in uh, in investing in talents uh, as much as I can. And that's how we've started last year, by the time we met, I think, with you. Currently, I'm general partner with one, one more general partner, a good friend of mine. We worked together before. Uh, we are building the funds to invest in as early stage as possible in emerging markets, being a first institutional lead check in pre-seed and seed stage companies, uh, building human-centric solutions for more sustainable life, so partially it answers to my complete obsession with uh, finding and investing in talents as early as possible. Partially it answers to uh, mine and so my partners both uh, understanding of uh, emerging markets opportunities, but also the needs of solutions which can truly scale and how much they're needed uh, outside uh, over-competitive, over-saturated, over-heated developed markets. Uh, Partially, uh, it's uh, perhaps just general excitement to, like, we've always been meeting talents from all walks of life everywhere. Uh, and it's a genuine pleasure to just make it your life work. Uh, we are macro and data driven. So eventually we're building a data platform to be able to deploy capital at scale. Uh, while we're starting with first small funds of just 20 million, 
Uh, we are working on data modeling to uh, select and assess multiple companies at the same time, partially through data, partially through just fundamental assessments. Uh, and we're looking into several thousand deals a month at this point. Uh, partially, it has to do with just our backgrounds. We've been on international asset allocation for quite a long time. Partially, it's to do with just my role in these early stage companies that I've always been this sort of soundboard when a founder doesn't haven't even started anything yet, or uh, two team members starting off and uh, in ideation stage and just asking for some suggestion or feedback or advice. Uh, and so when basically I reached out to literally all people I've ever worked in my life across probably 50 countries uh, and said, like, okay, I'm finally on my long lifelong dream to invest in talents and build the funds. So let me know what you're working on uh, in a bit of a different capacity at this point. Uh, we opened the Pandora box, uh, the early stage financing in emerging markets is pretty much non-existent, especially at pre-seeds. Uh, it's uh, every founder here is you're too early for everybody, or you're from the wrong geography, or you're from the some, some, some vertical funds doesn't look into. Uh, for us, uh, it's emerging markets as early as possible. We want to know what you're working on, uh, and we want to be the first uh, partners in whatever you're building, as long as it's scalable. Ah, and one thing, uh, I'm, I don't know how many people know this about me, but I am uh, an artist. I'm a semi-professional photographer. I write poetry. Uh, I've <laughs> somehow got myself into an art experiment with Miro right now uh, to try to, uh, it's, it's only partially to publish what I'm writing. It's mostly to use this blockchain platform to research how to invest in artists at scale as well. Uh, because one of ideas is to deploy capital into entrepreneurs, partially to create infrastructure and some industrial grade solutions. But the next stages for at least for my personal journey is to invest in scientists and artists and educators and uh, this uh, uh, hobby, perhaps, uh, is uh, one of the ways to research this part, too. Amazing. You're a very well-rounded individual. You've done a lot of things, but uh, most importantly, you've also taken care of your artistic self while managing out the business side. So that's uh, very cool. And you maybe don't get to see that very often. So that's pretty amazing. Um, I, I do want to take a step back to some of the earlier comments you made about the things that you were doing. And, and one of them, I think, really always stands out for me. And uh, maybe I pull this out all the time but uh, in calls. But um, I like data. I love the way data works. It's structured. It, it enables things. It helps you find problems, build solutions, and scale when you see the, the right opportunity. Now, you take your trading days and understanding how businesses operate and work. How much of that influence has had on the direction of where you are today, that being able to trade and sell equities into companies, one, you get a lot of learnings from that, I'm going to make the assumption. Uh, and two, you get to see how companies were scaling, especially at that higher stage, um, because you're looking for wins in order to gain dollars. So at the end of the day, you're taking that same learnings, and now you're putting that down to smaller size 
and putting that into that early stage side. So what are some of the learnings that you gained from being a trader that have kind of helped you today and picking the opportunities that are in front of you that could be winners and hopefully scalable businesses? Mm, that's an interesting question. Uh, something that I get to debate with some of uh, investors and partners uh, quite a bit because it's considered that hedge funds experience is not really applicable in venture. And uh, uh, I would say that probably depends on where you've been as uh, on IB or hedge funds or some other parts of. Uh, but <clears throat> there are a few things which I am definitely using every single day now as a fund uh, and been using for the last decade outside capital markets. One part is probably unfamable ability to work with information. Uh, I don't think there are that many people who actually understand what is it that you do uh, in uh, uh, macro strategies that you get to uh, read and research a lot. Uh, it's uh, unlike uh, some prop tra uh, day trading or order books for clients. If you have your prop, you dive deep into uh, multiple sectors, multiple search industries. You look for companies which are already public, but you're also looking for what might go to public or what might uh, happen as emergent acquisition, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you get used to this. The amount of information I'm consuming daily for most people seems impossible to do in a month. And it's just a daily, it's, it's just a habit. Uh, partially curiosity and just, I mean, my own interest to this helps a lot, obviously, but it's also a, a professional habit uh, and something really hard to take from, uh, something which helps a lot in venture because you have to be researching every single day, learning from every person you meet, reading voraciously, speaking with founders, speaking with investors, with partners, with everybody, everywhere, grasping all those different bits of information. Venture capital works on the asymmetry of information. So more so than in public markets, you have to grasp the picture without access to full information unlike in public markets. Uh, another part is decision-making itself. Decision-making, which I was trained at least, uh, and I find uh, my one one of my first uh, funds and our fund owner, he trained us amazingly. The whole decision-making process is not just what is it that I want to invest in. It's understanding your own set of frameworks, understanding your own uh, skill sets, where you are fit best to which type of strategies, to which types of asset allocation, to which types of assets themselves, uh, ability to do decision-making quickly, ability is like something like under 30 seconds, you have to be able to say yes or no, at least. Either I'm not wasting, even wasting my time, or it's a yes to either look into this or consider or actually say, yes, let's go. And th this is something is some inherent habits in your blood after uh, uh, trading days. Uh, which obviously helps to be a successful chief executive officer, chief investment officer. Uh, and also you get to understand your very specific different strategies you're most aligned to execute on. Some people, it could be, say, day trading or um, open, uh, open uh, 
uh, hours trading. For some people, it could be a long, life long term investing and like buy and hold. Uh, you get to see not just the assets you're best tuned into or in stages of assets and how to actually research and close the information gap. You also get to see which specific investment strategies are working for you best. And that helps to not just to work with fund uh, with funds. It helps to be not just different, but better specifically something nobody can copy from you because this is your inherent uh, grown skill sets over time and your inherent alignments to who you are as an individual, how you're thinking. And uh, another part from the trading is managing your emotions, having a decent feedback to yourself, decent feedback to your like biases and mistakes and uh, ability to take a look at what's been done so far uh, and improving it, being improving it on a daily basis, have a very calm perspective on your mistakes and wins. Uh, all, all those things are, I think, play at large in venture. Uh, so it's 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 not specifically, or can I, can I analyze a balance sheet? Well, I can. Yeah, it doesn't help at pre-seeds. <laughs> but uh, decision-making does, risk management does, understanding asset allocation does, uh, research and uh, understanding where how markets are getting shaped, especially if you get to see for some early stage companies to blue oceans, and you've seen a couple of cycles in the markets where some companies haven't yet been trading, come to trade, and then you uh, invested in them from the hedge fund perspective. All of those things help immensely, I think. I'm going to wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think Whoever's telling you that there isn't any similarities, there is always similarities in the things that you start off doing in life and the things that you continue to do. Uh, you create patterns and those patterns are quite obvious. So uh, even throughout all of the roles that you have, there was always one underlying thing that you focused on, which was strategy, um, being a strategist, an analyst. So I think at the end of the day, a lot of the things that you're doing is always analyzing data, always analyzing where something's going and what the potential is. And one thing that you do talk about quite a bit is the opportunity to scale and if this is something that's scalable. And again, in somebody that has been a trader, they're always looking at that same opportunity because the numbers will create a pattern, which then creates uh, probably some underlying, will this be something that can scale in the next two to three months? Or do I need to pull out now because this isn't going to go in the direction I need it to, uh, based again off of that uh, primary and secondary and sometimes even tertiary analysis that you're doing, uh, which is something that is continuous throughout uh, your career. So now taking that, obviously, all these great things that you learned about, which is pretty amazing and being able to shift this into that early stage. And as you alluded to, there's not a lot of data in this early stage but there is a lot of metrics that are there if you ask the right questions and dive in to get that information. So while you're kind of taking this transition uh, into the data world or into the investment world for early stage, there was also a time where you were a founder. And I think that a lot of what you did as being a founder also transitions well into investing in early stage companies. You've been there, you understand it. Uh, can you, Give us a little bit of a background again on when you were building your first business 
and what learnings that you can take and how relevant that are, that will be for working with these early stage founders. Because at the end of the day, an early stage founder is going to look at you and say, are you just money or are you going to be able to help me grow? And, you know, you mentioned that even families and friends were asking you for guidance and help uh, throughout their careers on the ed tech side. Uh, do you feel that you're going to be able to offer that same value back or have you been offering that same value back to founders because they can, you can relate to them and they can relate to you? Um, so one, one thing, I guess, uh, when I started off building my own business, I first found out that I actually do want to work with artists a lot and with scientists. And back then I knew for a fact, it's not going to be a profitable business. So I flipped the whole thinking upside down and said, I will find a sustainable business model because this is what I want to do in the next few years. I will completely reshuffle the whole approach because first of all, I do believe that talents should earn money first, not like it's currently structured in our post-manufacturing world. Uh, and second, I will find a way to build a sustainable business uh, and uh, uh, learn from this. Uh, but I want the talents I'm working with to be able to earn from this predictably. And I want miss myself as a talent working with uh, everybody to earn on this sustainably instead of shuffling 50 different side hustles and jobs and having a side hobby. <clears throat> so the whole uh, like pathway into working with talents was starting off with, this is a very complex, I started off with avant-garde jazz. It's like the last thing you can possibly imagine would be profitable and would make sense and would work. And we turned it into a series of festivals. It's like we started off with a concert with 100 people coming over for a couple of fantastic American musicians, just amazing. And uh, in a few years down the road, we had uh, several festivals for several thousand people. And it was uh, the popular science type of explanation and very community-driven approach to building up the crowds around supporting talents and coming to gigs as a friends for friends. I, and uh, uh, this, like the whole experimentation in its early stage gave me the insights on what it means to launch something. Like, first of all, to just bet on yourself. Second, to launch something which is working completely different than the whole industry and still find option to, uh, to do it differently. Uh, and uh, that's uh, uh, another angle which was afterwards very useful in startup world was I didn't have an option to fundraise the money. It's a project-based activity, events. I had to manage budget by budget, somewhere selling tickets, somewhere finding grants and sponsors and cultural centers support. Uh, and uh, I've become very used to always thinking in terms of sustainable business model, short-term and long-term both. And this uh, mentality when working with ideation and early stage founders afterwards helped a lot because I would always be, what is it that you need money for exactly? What do you, what you don't need to do right now? What is it that you're going to waste a lot of your time, a lot of your energy and wouldn't achieve meaningful results? What is the biggest thing you can do today to push your business forward for a month? What is the biggest thing you can do today with your just intellect, your networks, your ideation, your communication abilities, research abilities, 
to push your business forward. Uh, and then, okay, let's see what the actual budget looks like. <clears throat> and uh, I found uh, a lot of very useful, interesting frameworks and working with early stage companies back then. But I also learned to recognize talents, uh, like some, 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 someone who may not necessarily even need money. They just need a couple of people to talk to in the next few months and have these first support. Support for, yes, this idea makes sense. You're not insane. Yes, this can be done. Even right now, no, no uh, resources, no uh, team members, no, uh, not much to rely on. There, is still, there are a lot of things that can be done to push it forward and then find a few more early stage supporters and then maybe get some uh, investors on board and uh, continue pushing forward. Uh, it was a very interesting flip side from the finance, for sure, from capital markets. Uh, and uh, it was uh, probably just the, it's like I have this very structured engineering mentality in working with teams and business ideas. So partially it's being able to just recognize people and ideas for what they are, just accept people and ideas for what they are. And partially then bring a very methodical, very structured, very specific mental and work approach to build business sustainable business model around it as quickly as possible to make it uh, uh, take off the ground. Uh, and that's been my specialty for the last decade. Uh, ability to to do this uh, like with unrecognizable often talents, building quickly to something very specific structured and working in the very early stage and looking within the team as a co-founder. And at the same time, having a very good grasp on the assets itself from the outside as an investor. In, including in different stages, including like the whole market mapping and research and like who is your potential competition in here? Who's your potential competition in there? What are your major macro considerations? Where, are you, where is your playing field? What are the major um, public companies and mergers and acquisitions in your field in general? And what the, their learnings and mistakes done? What, what is going on in all the different stages which you can actually take in and use to your advantage? There's some fascinating topics. <laughs> well, it sounds like, and again, there's a lot of things that you've brought into your learning as the founder and how you found ways to skate through um, the not raising dollars, but building revenues on how you found ways to balance out your own business. And now <laughs> taking that same experience and relating that back to other founders, I think is very important. That becomes them being able to relate back to you. But I think at the same time, it goes back to your early days of budgeting and numbers. And this is the type of things that businesses don't typically understand, especially new founders. They're not really understanding all the time how to financially build models, how to plan for the future on what they should be spending and what they shouldn't be spending. And it sounds like you found a really good way to connect with them, share on how these things can look just by giving them what do you need to do this month versus what you need to do next month and how can you budget for that. That's important and that's huge because a lot of founders are always thinking big. You know, they're, they're sitting in the middle of a football stadium and that's how their brain thinks. 
they're like, this is amazing. There's a million doors in here. I can do a million things. And what you're saying is, no, 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 no. You need to take big business and you need to confine that down to a little room. We need to get you into a little room and focus. And this is going to happen because you put some budgets together. You put together some ideas on how to get from A to B. And if you don't do that, you're going to be spending everywhere and you're not going to make it to the end of the month. And we need to figure out how to get you into the next six months and then getting into scaling. So it's uh, it's pretty incredible on how you can analyze and help businesses really see the future. You made me think of something else that's uh, something which you learn uh, in public markets, but then gets to relearn again in, in private markets about the probabilistic approach. And so this engineering mentality falls onto probabilistic uh, man, uh, ability. And so you kind of look like, okay, what are the next, um, not the steps for today and then who will jump in five years in the future? What are the next 20 steps ahead and what are the probabilistic trees and where are the major decision-making I need to be doing? What is my decision-making process itself? What I should not be doing at all? And what are my options? And if we fall down to like the worst scenario tree, what do we do next? What if we fall to the best scenario tree, what do we do next? And then it goes from the business itself, but also for fundraising, what are the different strategies in different scenarios? And uh, for, uh, I know that uh, plenty of people would prefer to write it down, I have this like, very weird thing coming from public markets that I keep a lot of things in just my mental modeling. So I can talk to a founder for a couple of hours and then sit down and say, okay, so here are your three options, roughly. We can write them down as timeline, as product map, tech map, blah, blah, blah. But roughly your three scenarios are here. I think that's probabilities to get in here and here are these. And the most important decision-making you will have to make are these four different decisions you should be preparing yourself forward in the next six to 12 months. And this, this, this framework especially helps in early stage. It helps to not to design something which is not going to work or it's not scalable or it's such a bottleneck that it's like in three rounds down the, down the line, you're completely stuck and you don't have any other option but to just sell the company for cheap. I love it. No, that's great. And again, this is all about that planning, strategizing, understanding where you are today, where you got to go. And I think having somebody, even if it's a startup that goes to a consultant, Whatever that looks like, sometimes that little extra variable of somebody managing this output can help you go a long distance versus trying to manage all of these pieces together. And not everybody's going to learn and be able to understand these types of scenarios that you just talked about, because those are quite foreign, especially if they've never been in capital markets or they've never been in big business. So I think these are really good things that uh, you can bring to or have been bringing to the startup community. Uh, in, in all the companies that you work with, which is uh, fantastic. So now to kind of shift a little bit, now you're taking all this great learning that you've had. As you mentioned, this is kind of like the dream job for you is building out a fund and growing and doing something that you've been passionate about for a very long time. And it started when you were working with early stage founders, painters, designers, people in, in, in that entrepreneurial background. And fast forward to today, now you're out building a fund, which is made up of a couple of different things. And, and maybe we can touch on a couple of them. I'm going to say one is going to be on deal flow. The second will be on community. And then the third one is going to be kind of the 
the gunpowder to all of this, which is the dollars that are going to invest in everything that you're doing. Can you talk a little bit about um, what it takes on the deal flow side? What things that you find you're doing in order to build that deal flow up? I think you mentioned thousands of companies. What do you got to do to get that many people, that many entrepreneurs interested in yourselves and your partners? And then we'll jump in quickly into the community side. Uh, it's uh, uh, so the short version is I've been working with uh, early stage founders, but also with artists, experts, advisors, research labs, uh, institutes, corporates, investors uh, around the world for more than a decade. Uh, and uh, they all always knew me as someone interested in extremely early stage. Uh, when no investor will take a look, uh, I will be sitting down and grinding and thinking together how to make it work and then how to make it fundraise successfully. Uh, as well as knowing the requirements of different investors from the other side, what they would be expecting to see uh, when you would, so that you would be prepared, you will be in investable shape. Uh, and uh, uh, it's, 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 I'm not joking. Uh, we obviously have partnerships with uh, local accelerators and venture studios and certain funds who say seed stage funds for whom pre-seed is too early. So they're sending us everything they get to see partially to just take a look partially to learn what's what we get to see in there. Uh, and the uh, communities of founders for founders, multiple very different chats, like data science chats in Southeastern Asia, data science chats in Latin America, like all those different things I've been uh, a part of for a very long time. And uh, uh, when last year, it was like you don't get to fundraise the funds on day one, right? We spent last year just building up to Partnerships, networks, deal flows, strategy, investment thesis, documents, uh, all, all those things you need to put together before you start fundraising. Uh, and we were slowly tapping into communities saying, we are fundraising, we are work in progress. We would like to not to take much of your time. We only need to maybe take a look at your deck. If you like to talk to us for any brainstorm advice, how to reach to other investors, feel free to tap into. Uh, but... The problem is uh, what I've seen in my work for years and my partner seen in his work for years that you're always too early for everybody. And while it's true in the United States or in Europe, uh, it's uh, even more so in emerging markets. There are no pre-seed, pretty much none, a few exceptions, obviously, but none pre-seeds pinch funds. Uh, and in, even angels, local angels, are looking and asking for some sort of metrics, for some achievements, for some MRR or some revenues or some lawyers or some R&D done. Uh, and uh, for us, our whole experience tells us that all, pretty much all metrics and preset are completely misleading. They don't help you at all. They may make no sense. So if you actually see a good team with a potentially scalable idea, on the whole forefront of the vertical you understand yourself and you see founders do understand it very deeply and have a differentiated angle to this, 
This is the time you get to invest, not six months later down the road when they have some revenues, not two years down the road, then they somehow scrapped uh, around friends and family and got their first prototype. You invest immediately. This is how the whole decision-making in, uh, in, uh, in, in this uh, is done, in our opinion. And so when we said that, yes, we're looking as early as possible, we want to meet people first and foremost, because people are building this. We want to see some specific angle to ideas, such as like human-centric, uh, sustainable business models for the benefits of macro of say Africa or Latin America or Southeast in Asia. Uh, and we're looking for something really scalable, regional-wise or global. Uh, we do get to see a lot of founders who don't really scale or can't, or they think they can, but I don't think it's true. But at the same time, the whole limitations are quite uh, simple. Uh, and uh, uh, when we started talking to everybody, we quickly realized that uh, we opened a Pandora box because all of these founders who are always too early for everybody else, not too early for us, we're always happy to take a look, to think, and to talk. Uh, apparently, they are not even getting accepted to accelerate. So they are too early for accelerators, let alone angels. In emerging markets, so it's not—it's—it's it's a huge, huge gap in funding, but also in the ability of people to take risks properly. Because if you would start considering dollar-weighted average risk you are actually taking in these markets, it's fifty to one hundred fifty k check in pre-seed, comparing to say a million uh, in pre-seed in the United States, and you get the capital efficiency twice as much comparing to United States and the cost of work and resources and everything is uh, several, uh, it's much, much cheaper. And people have to be sustainable and think through the uh, all implications uh, beforehand before they will be spending money because it's, uh, capital is a rare resource in emerging markets. You get to see some amazing companies, fantastic founders with a lot of experience, which doesn't look like that. A lot of companies which don't look anything like lean economy or Silicon Valley startups with various reasonable first checks who are getting strides afterwards. No, that's amazing. I'm completely obsessed about emerging markets in early stage. No, and you have to be if you're if you want to be in this space, you got to be the best. My uh, my whole thing is no matter whatever role you decide to take in your life or your time, be the best. Just know it better than anybody else. That's the only way you're going to get above everybody else in order to work this. And that goes from finishing school faster, being the top of your class, whatever that might be. You always have to strive to be a bit better than yourself, a bit better than everybody else. So I think that's brilliant. Now, you, you mentioned a lot of great things inside of that. And one of them that kept coming up was, again, which is community. And that was our second kind of bullet. How important to you is community, not only for yourself, because you've spent the last 10 years working in and out of communities uh, to build up and learn on deal flow, learn up on startups. How important is community for a startup? Is that important to you when you're making an investment as well? Uh, good question. I know there are uh, there is a, a huge conversation going on about community-driven funds, community-driven companies uh, these days. I'm 
partially I'm coming from like my first computer uh, was uh, in 87 ish, 89, I think. Uh, then we had these forums and IRC chats, and it always was some form of community based on interest. So while it looks different these days, it doesn't actually differ that much from, say, yet another obscure anime channel uh, back in the 90s, in my uh, opinion. Uh, community uh, is important if it's, I think, a community of practice, community of knowledge and practice. So it's not like cheat chats, let's help each other, let's support each other, hands up. Who, who, who's cool and awesome in here, but very practical uh, and very result-oriented communities. This is something I've always been a part of and always been uh, uh, enjoying uh, a lot. So uh, the place where you can come with a specific question and actually get an answer or a resource or maybe a call or some, some specific type of support based on your ask, so to get things done, basically. Uh, this is probably even more important in emerging markets because markets are so fractionalized, disconnected, early stage communities. There could be like 80 different communities in one the same country who do not talk to one another uh, for some reason. Uh, and uh, it doesn't help to any of them much. So connecting these communities uh, been and is going to be a further part of our work anyway. Uh, in in terms of in like there should be a reason I'd say not to be in the community for the sake of the community be in there because you can bring your value and add to a joint knowledge and if you have some specific question you don't know answer to you can at least get a pointer uh, or some help. Um, one thing I found over time uh, that's you don't get to find a founder in a community if you're looking for a founder. It's a very different risk taking. It's a very different journey itself. And just uh, asking within a group of strangers, basically strangers, that, hey, I'm looking for someone to join my startup, uh, oftentimes ends just badly. Uh, not necessarily badly, badly. Uh, it could be just not work and people uh, split up in a matter of months. Uh, but uh, it's rare such a coincidence happen that you actually find someone you've never worked with before, you haven't spent time much time with, and you end up working together. Uh, you still get some experience to live through. Uh, it's probably a big difference in blockchain, though, these days, because uh, there are so, so many intense things happening simultaneously, and then the whole community lives through a specific project with a lot of support. It feels almost like a collaborative experience, I would say. No, that's great. And you're you're right. I think community is, it, it can be used in many different forms, different ways that can benefit you or benefit the, the whole. And in blockchain, they seem to be because it's such a unique uh, build up that the people that do fit into it do tend to come out on the other end, building deeper relationships because they're all facing the same struggles at the same time, which is pretty fascinating. But I, I think inside of uh, building a company or building funds or raising funds or building a fund, community can work. Obviously, the different people that come in, they can help offset knowledge and help you gain and move quicker. Or 
if you're going to find a partner or a co-partner, I think a lot of that comes down with two people or three people having the same passion and being able to unearth that passion together. And when you both start from scratch and build up, I think that's where you're going to really benefit from that whole experience. Whereas if someone comes in usually with way more knowledge than everybody else, it's tough to kind of build co-partners and ramp up at the same time when one is leagues ahead of the other, it does kind of make it to be a little disconnected. So I can understand that as well. Now, the last thing that really kind of defines the whole process of what you're doing comes down to the funds and what's going to happen next. So if you have those two things pretty strong and you're de-risking a lot of the value, which you have immensely a huge background, uh, you're networking, you've built a community, you've got all these great things. What's that next step look like on the funding side? What is the thing that triggers everybody to go forward? And what types of advice can you give to people that are kind of in the same spot that you're in or going to be in? And not just from a fund side, this is also from a startup side. You talk to thousands of startups that are also trying to de-risk their business so that they can get investors to say, hey, I'm interested, even if you are too early. What kind of things would you say outside of those two main pieces we talked about? What other things can you use to strategize on this? to help people say, yeah, you know what, maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe I need to do this, this, and this, and that will get people to have more interest in me. In me as a fund or in me as a founder? As a founder or a fund, you can kind of, there's a lot of cross-pollination here, of course, but it's more of what's that advice that can help those founders? Because like you said, so many people look at you and say, well, you're too early. So everybody will always say that because somebody's always one stage at a different stage, and you never seem to find the people that are at the area that you are. But at the same time, there's some good learnings and things that you've gone over the last year um, that would really define kind of here's some things that can help you de-risk, pay attention to these, look for these types of people, whatever that um, might be. Love to, to get your perspective on that. Um, I would say uh, not just probably a last year, like the whole uh, previous years that I've been preparing other founders for fundraising. I get to see uh, like what would make me comfortable and then what would like, so for, first of all, there are two different things, investable shape for me and investable shape for someone else who I know uh, and I can recommend this source to go to. Uh, there probably will be some difference in metrics as well as geography and uh, yeah, verticals, but metrics oftentimes is the biggest difference. So I know that when I feel like this makes total sense, it's at least plus three to six months down the road where I can actually help connect these founders to someone else. Uh, in, uh, in my experience, what is it that you want to showcase to an investor in the early stage is first your founder product market fit alignment that you are as a team, not one person as a team with your unique experiences, backgrounds and superpowers are aligned as the team itself. It's because you somehow first attracted to one another to do this. And then maybe you have one more person in the team. So you somehow already started your first hiring process, uh, bringing in team members. That tells a lot about your just ability to build teams in early stage and your ability to not just grow, not grow the business, ability to attract talents in the first place so that you can always 
uh, reach out for a very high level of execution and a much broader thinking together as the team. And you are capable of listening to one another. Uh, another part is how all of this, your collective uniqueness shapes your idea of a product and how your uniqueness is aligned to the market you're going into uh, and uh, uh, your some differentiated angle you have is reflected in your go-to-market strategy or to some of your parts of your business model. Uh, these, these things, they always seem very clearly when founders have that. Because you, uh, you've been building something for your whole life. You've got set of skill sets which are extremely rare and very unique to you and how you are thinking. Then you met a couple of more people who have, have the same and you're aligning between them. This first early point where you align your visions to build something bigger than all of your combines is something which already gives me as an investor this whole sense of what you're capable of doing not on your own and something which is bigger than all of you combines. And then the product itself is, it may not necessarily be some spectacular, innovative, disruptive, nothing was ever done like this before. It could be some breakthrough in a business model or some unusual application of uh, the same idea to a completely different market. Uh, but uh, you need to showcase how you are thinking about it in, in terms of assumptions, why the pain you are witnessing is big enough, not just to justify venture investments, to justify any investments. If it's a business, maybe it's an agency, maybe it's uh, some other type of uh, uh, business model itself. But uh, if uh, the pain is big enough, the market is big enough, and you have a very clear idea how to cover it, not as a painkiller to actually solve the problem itself. Uh, and uh, it's evidence. Uh, most often, I do get to see very simple, quite a, oftentimes unusual, like how, how nobody ever thought about this before, in some, at least in some parts, but it always super simple. It's not some abstract platform with 50 different functions. It's if people are looking for this, I will be delivering them this. In my first idea prototype, we will be doing just one thing. It may be two functions, but it will be just one thing because we want to make sure that we are properly answering the biggest pain in the market, that we actually talk to real people, to real market, and we understand the needs. And we do know how to uh, answer that. And then the market itself, uh, you have to know it. Uh, preferably better than me. So uh, whenever I'm getting on a call with a founder and saying ad tech, and for some reason, I'm ending up reading them a whole lecture about the 15 years of development in ad tech, including their closest competitors, nearby competitors, and a few other markets, I feel a bit strange because they should be telling me that's not me to them. Right? And one of the ways to measure up the potential ability, probabilistic ability of this team to make it big is an in-depth knowledge of their own markets. Uh, and it, it's not just competitions of maybe even 
like forecasting future competition, understanding some specific business models, understanding of the Death Valley. There are a magnitude of things you have to know and understand because they will eventually help to build the strategies, the go-to markets, some specific product shape, some UI UX form, communication, who you need to attract as partners and advisors, why you need these particular investors, et cetera. But as you like already hearing, I think that I'm talking about talents, about assumptions, about deep research and knowledge. I'm not talking about metrics. Early stage of execution is all about figuring things out, communicating them clearly, trying them out and making sure that it makes sense at some scale or at a large scale. Uh, but it's your ability to build assumptions based on exactly who you are, what you know, and be aligned with what you're building and taking the, just the risk itself of being a founder, uh, raising the money in danger. So uh, something like that. Well, that's pretty awesome because you listed out lots of details there. And I think all of those are very sound. And, you know, you even did the little paraphrase of the last, the four things or five things that you really do need to focus on, which was fantastic. And I do agree that having a lot of market knowledge is very helpful, but starting off by having a fantastically strong team and being able to hire the right way and keep testing your product and go to market in that that same sequence is going to be very beneficial. So uh, well said, well said. Um, we're going to kind of transition now because we've got to keep moving along. So the uh, the question that I'm, you know, we like to learn a little bit about is and, and always dive into, which is, you know, Throughout this time that you've been working in this early stage space over the last 10 years, you probably really gained a knowledge for what it takes to be a founder, what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Do you have a story that kind of pops into mind, something quick that you can kind of share that really defines what it takes to be an entrepreneur? And uh, there might even be your own experiences in this case because uh, you've gone through it. But is there something that just pops that you were like, you know, this is unbelievable this happened and I can't believe they made it through and now at the other end, they're amazing or whatever the story might be, but just something that really can show the audience what it takes to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I uh, don't have an answer to this question at all. I've seen so many pathways into being a successful entrepreneur, anywhere from five previous failures to building a successful well, stage B company by this point, to side hustling, bootstrapping for three years with one million in revenues, not being able to attract any single investor in the United States and in Europe, and now being completely overloaded with offers from across like top 20 funds somehow. Uh, or uh, with like a magical team which somehow just stumbled upon a solution where they thought they were solving for themselves and friends and family in their region. And they woke up to like 100,000 subscribers in a month. And we're like, okay, now we are in the business. Now we, they had experience before, but they literally woke up to something they had no clue was this huge. And it's like this careful, this wildflower, you have to be so, so careful about not to break it. Because you already have a community who is all, which is already tapping into even the glimpse of a prototype of a solution you're offering. And you have to be very, very con conscious and very attentive to what you're doing next. Uh, I've seen people from uh, like literally all walks of life, uh, and uh, uh, they've been they had their unique pathways into entrepreneurship. Uh, some transitioned into investors, some transitioned into just a business or a consulting, 
deciding against it on all the options, whatever you can. So, oh, I know uh, two founders who transitioned to become musicians. So uh, go figure. Uh, but uh, there is some, there, there are probably a few things I got to see, which probably I enjoy working most is this uh, curiosity, immense curiosity for life and for people generally, uh, ability to bet on yourself, like to inherently at least learn to and then build up on this and then believe in yourself and bet on yourself, ability to go all in on things you deeply believe in, ethics are work ethics, human ethics, long-term mindsets, uh, building for like generations, basically, not some money grab uh, or some short-term solutions because, well, somebody is going to pay me for this tomorrow and I don't care what happens in the day after tomorrow. Uh, this, uh, this probably what I personally like the most. Though I do know a lot of founders who've been building companies for two, three, four years exit or for some specific opportunity for some specific venture funds targeted or uh, companies being built as, because we can. I mean, we we have some specific backgrounds. We can raise for pretty much anything we can ask for. Let's build this and see how that goes. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's it, have, it had nothing to do with what their desires were. It was just, oh yeah, I, I can raise money from anybody. Why don't I do this? Uh, but, uh, uh, well, yeah, something like that. I mean, uh, I don't think there is some distinct, uh, flavor. Well, it sounds like a lot of stories combined into one and those are all very helpful and very exciting. So I, I think that if you broke into each one of those, you would be able to unearth even more of a story, but I think the underlying is it, it, the underlying comment is that, uh, when you work hard, bring in great people, you're going to be able to succeed and you have to stumble before you crawl, before you walk, before you run. And it sounds like a lot of them have gone through all of these, uh, trying to de-risk their business and get eyeballs on what they're doing. And some of them just fell on it and had to work through that too. So there's always going to be problems and there's always going to be solutions as long as you spend enough time to understand them. So uh, great, great share. Um, we're going to go now into our, our um, quick Rapid fire questions, personal mm -hmm. and business. We'll start with the business side. Are you ready to roll? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so pick one or the other. Founder or co-founder? Co-founder. Unicorn or four-year 10 exit? None. <laughs> okay. Combination, All right. different strategies. <laughs> Private company, Decacorn. <laughs> All right, okay. Uh, tech or CPG? Tech. Brand or tech? Tech. AI or blockchain? Mm, that's not fair. Well, technically, we are data-driven funds not looking into blockchain at the moment, except for some uh, specific solutions to apply to real life. So it's AI and big data. Okay. First-time founder or second and third-time founder? Don't care. Uh, depends on the person. Deeply depends on the person. Okay. First money in or Series A? First money in. Angel or VC? Innovation in VC. Okay. Board seat or observer? Mm, Hands-on investor. Safe or convertible <laughs> note? Um, price equity around. All safe. 
Okay. Lead or follow? Lead. Equity or interest payments? Equity. Number of companies to be invested in per year? Uh, depends. Uh, right now, probably 20. Hopefully in the future, 100. <clears throat> okay. Probably more. Any, any verticals of focus? Agnostic. Depends okay. on the macro. Depends on the macro of your region, deeply. Okay. And then favorite part of investing? Working with founders. And last question on this. Two things that make a startup stand out to you. What are they? Integrity. And curiosity. Love it. Okay, personal side. Book or movie? Book. Superman or Batman? None. Pizza pop or ice cream bar? <laughs> Both. <laughs> Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Um, Oprah. Ah, no, you mean Art? Bezos? Yes, Bezos or Oprah. Oprah as in music? No. Bezos as in Amazon, Oprah uh, as in Oprah, uh, Oprah the Winfrey. TV host, yes, None. Winfrey show. None. Okay. I thought Oprah is music. <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> what, a, what a strange choice. <laughs> Bike or rollerblades? Bike. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? None. Trophy or money? Money? Beer or wine? Wine. Camera or mobile phone? Camera. King or rich? First was? King, king, queen, or rich? Uh -huh. None. Okay. Concert or amusement park? Concerts. Fortune cookie or birthday cake? Mm. Don't care, don't eat sweets. <laughs> TED Talk or book reading? Book reading. All right, we're getting close. Favorite sports team? None. Okay. Favorite movie and what character would you play? About 200 movies. Um, let's go with... Let's go with... Oh, Jesus, I don't know. Um, Benny and First June. First one that pops in your mind. Benny and June. Okay. And character? Mm, all of them. I mean, the movie is spectacular. I've seen it like 10 times, I think. I've never seen it, uh, but is there one character that you feel that you would play? Uh, <laughs> I uh, okay. So uh, one thing to uh, which goes to talents to working with people, but also to books and movies and music and everything. I uh, have a high level of empathy, and I live through and empathize immediately and accept things for what they are. 
And so with people, it's like deep connections with books and movies. I don't associate myself with a certain, certain character. I'm just fooling down the rabbit hole, the whole world in itself. So it's like I'm all, all, of, all of them simultaneously. I'm just a part of the movie at certain points. I could be a tree. I don't know if you like. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, your favorite book? <sighs> Thousands. And thousands. Um, let's go with Louis Bajold, uh, Barkotigan Saga today. Louis? Louis Bajold, um, uh, sci-fi uh, fantastic writer. Uh, the saga is called Barkotigan, Barkotigan Saga. It's a famous series of novels. She's been writing for four decades, I think. Something. Okay, I'm going to look that up. Very cool. All right. First brand that pops in your mind. Uh, my computer, Dell. <laughs> okay. Most famous person that pops in your mind. Jeffrey Potvin talking to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible. Sounds interesting, but we, we need, uh, we need someone a little bit more, um, or way more <laughs> popular than myself, but, uh, uh, um, uh, we'll go with that if you want, unless you can come up with something off the top of your cuff. Tom Jerry. Okay, done. All right, last question. What is your superpower? Integrity. I love it. Which is be a good reason why you're looking for others with the same integrity. Brilliant. Well said. <laughs> Well, Olga, I want to thank you very much for all your time today. It was fantastic, as I always do. Took a ton of notes. feel like I'm uh, writing autobiographies for everybody, but fantastic job. Thank you very much for sharing everything that you did today. And the way we like to end our show is we like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share to an investors or to founders, again, thank you very much for sharing and being part of our journey and keep doing all the great things that you have. You're awesome. And I turn it over to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Always, always, always fun to talk to you uh, and brainstorm ideas. Idea parties, that's the best. Um, let me, I don't know, end up with this. Ideas parties rock. Long-term adventures, uh, generational adventures rock. Uh, it's uh, an immense pleasure to work with founders in extremely early stages. It's immense uh, pleasure to meet investors to the fund itself who are a part of this journey. Uh, because it takes some courage and guts and vision and strategy to be a part of something like this uh, as investors and as uh, partners and as founders. Uh, and generally, it takes a lot of guts to, to do these things uh, and build something which would actually change lives of people uh, and uh, build up to generational wealth for uh, everyone involved and to stay yourself, I guess. Like stay true to yourself. Well, Olga, I love it. I like that you carry a lot of integrity and you're doing and you're working your butt off and you will launch this fund. And I'm very excited to continue to follow your journey doing this. Thank you very much for being with us today. And we will have you on again to keep talking because you're fantastic. So thank you. And thank have you a wonderful so much. day. Back, back to you <laughs> with uh, a lot uh, of compliments. We've been hanging out for quite enough. I always enjoy our 
conversations, cross-discipline, cross-cultural, very deep, very intense, very fun. Uh, it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm super happy that I've, uh, that I've met you. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you, Olga. All right. That was awesome. I love chatting with Olga. She's fantastic. Uh, we, we chat all the time. And, you know, I always learn something new every time I get the opportunity to deep dive with Olga. And today I learned a lot more. Uh, there are so many things to unpack here from, you know, the steps around raising funds, de-risking the community side, uh, you know, product, the team, metrics, uh, you know, support. I love that, you know, her things around integrity and curiosity are key in what she's looking for in founders. Knowledge of the market is key. Uh, you know, taking all that business strategy side and understanding of uh, of those things, you know, uniqueness shapes your product. I think that's really big as well. Figure out what that team uniqueness is and really dive out and scale and be able to offer that and scale that up eventually. Um, but I love that Olga understands the beginning and the end, what this whole thing is about and helping founders understand how to scale. And I think that that's key to uh, making the investment and, and helping these these founders and her whole uh, idea around uh, investing in a lot of companies in a year and being able to scale is fantastic and especially globally. So uh, we look forward to more exciting conversations with Olga in the future. So thank you for joining us today. If you enjoy this conversation, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our Stitcher. Please leave your comments. It always helps support and push our, our content further upstream. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com and for startup events, visit opn.ninja. Thank you and have a great week.